Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right. Dirt Myth. Back from the dead. Been a while. Ex- explain your um, eye situation. Well, I'll tell part of it. Yeah. Lead, no, lead no, no. In. Okay, I'll tell the first part, and then I'm going to have parts, all other parts to tell. Uh, it used to be that you couldn't really see anything. Yeah. Just glad. Like you couldn't see critters. Yeah. Shitty game eyes, how a fellow might put it. Yeah. You real guys put bad, it. You guys real put bad it like game eye. <laughs> you saw things that uh, didn't exist. Saw things that were not there, and then didn't see things that were there. Then you went and science. You went and and, and uh, explain that. Got LASIK, which was phenomenal. I recommend it to anybody. It was like a rebirth. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. And like was, you opened your eyes, and all of a sudden, like, oh shit, there's all the animals. Yeah, yeah, and it was quick. <laughs> it was like it was painless. You know. I, there is ri- inherent risks in cutting into your eye with a laser, but it was like maybe 15 minutes procedure, and then maybe two hours later, like I was, it, it was, it was, it was crazy because the glasses I had too two were hours later. Yeah, I could see like, and I, it varies the recovery, you know, because they they just assume a swelling and stuff. But yet on the drive back, Andrea, my girlfriend, drove me back to Bozeman. By the time we got home, I like couldn't go in the house because everything looked so cool outside. I've seen critters everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> realizing that ones you thought were there weren't, weren't there, back yeah. there. They were probably scratches and 
eye boogers on my glasses or something. And then after, then you started wearing glasses when? Uh, 2000, like early 2000s. So not my whole life. But, too, you saw my setup I had. I had that jerry-rigged croaky. Yeah, and Garrett, I, Garrett's father. Oh, he's going to love this. Invented. Uh, activewear. A thing called activewear, where he takes a piece of lawn trimmer cord. Yeah. Like like the, 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 the actual cutting cord from a weed whacker. Yeah. And he fixes uh, it as a... Yeah, like a cro- arms. Yeah, but like, isn't like croaky like band aid, right? It's like a company that used to make mm-hmm. those. Things. Oh yeah. What's they like the other? Them. What's the other word for it? Eyeglass retainer. Yeah, makes the <laughs> eyeglass retainer out of weed whacker cord. And his work, but he's like his are for like, reading glass. Yeah, which exactly. I need now, bad. Yeah, and you. So you would like his? his like setup. I couldn't read. I was trying to read the dosages on fuel stabilizer yesterday, and nothing. It's very difficult. I've got that too. Tying on hooks, small hooks. Yeah, it's Brody Henderson. You tie a lot of small hooks. Yeah. Professionally. Yeah, the last couple of years. You've been putting readers on? I haven't caved in yet, but I need to. Dude, I was in a restaurant the other day with surprise. I want to get back to you, Dirk, because I want to talk about you poking a hole in your eye with a pine needle. <laughs> the other day I'm in a restaurant. And Dirk, we're going to come back to your whole little saga. Rebirth. Yeah. So a friend of mine, she had on a pair of cheaters that she just got. 1.5 magnification. I put those sons of bitches on, and it was like, holy, like, this is what menus look like in real life? Yeah. It makes you realize what happens to you after you turn 40. Like, oh, it's so degrading, man. <laughs> they do say 40, too. Like, the LASIK. And it happens like, fast. I'm yeah. now, like, I dread. You know, like, you wake up in the middle of the night, and your kid's, like, sick or something. You're trying to figure out how much, like, children's, like, whatever to give them ibuprofen. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be happening to me. Just, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about getting a magnifying glass just to keep my pocket. Why not get readers? <laughs> but then I'm like, well, I ask my dude why people wear glasses. <laughs> Rogan's got cheaters. Yeah, I think everyone eventually. He carries them around all the time. When he needs to read something, he puts them on. I'm like, God, I'm so jealous, man. Yeah. I got to go get some of those things. Well, you got to try. I'll get you some of what dad makes. Well, that's what I need. I need the weed whacker cord put on them. Yeah. Yeah, they, I don't, it's like it's not like I'm trying to like meet girls anymore. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, dad. Yeah, it's, it's not it's like I'm married. I can style. wear a weed whacker cord around my head with my glasses <laughs> hooked to it. I don't give a shit. So, dirt. There you are. You, you got glasses when? Uh, early two thousands. So you've been running around in glasses for ten years. And here's what happened to dirt. This is this is Yanni's theory. It's an accurate. theory. I think it's theory. Yanni's. Didn't you come up with this theory? About why dirt poked a hole in his eye with a pine needle like days after getting LASIK. Mm. Well, it was it? He had gotten you. Tell him your theory, Yanni. Well, I think we should tell the story of how he got poked in the eye first. No. But I don't want dirt to tell his own story. I do. Because he got, might leave out my favorite parts. <laughs> Go ahead. You tell what happened to you. Well, I, I do got to say it was, luckily, it was like two months after surgery. Yeah, but it, I like to tell him, like, I like Immediately, to, yeah. yeah, I like to just for dramatic effect, I like to mess with the facts when it comes to <laughs> talking about you and your eyes. Okay, so so you tell the straight dope version. So making uh two months later. Two months later, making epic TV. Steve setting up his tent with the big belt mountains of Montana. And usually I can just freely headbutt pine trees with eye protection, but in this case, 
Because for 10 years, you've been walking through the woods with goggles on. Yeah. <laughs> and not having to... Well-secured yeah. goggles, yeah. nonetheless. Not having to worry about that. And just... Like, actually, I was holding a branch down, and the branch slipped from my foot as I was lowering. Oh. So it was like, you know, the angle the dangle was worst-case scenario. That's what happened? Yeah. And uh, I thought it would go away, because everyone's scratched their eye sure or you know if you're out in the woods often but this this thing was uniquely just whatever however it happened it's got worse every day it got worse well, you guys luckily luckily i work with good people because by the end of the day you guys are like you should probably get out of here I mean, yeah, it was well eye shut. scratches don't get like worse the next yeah. day and it wasn't even a scratch it ended up not being a scratch it was a puncture right well it was an abrasion a yeah. corneal abrasion but it was it during that day, like every once in a while, it, it was pain that would almost cause me to like puke. And what was happening is it 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 got infected and swelled up. This is the next day. Well, I, ha- I had a hike out, go to the optometrist. He said every time I'd blink because it's so swollen, it would re tear that flap. And that was where it was like, you know, I had to stop a couple times when we were hiking, but. The place I went to had this thing called, uh, I can't remember the name, Pro, I want to say Procara, but it was a uh, stem cell from placenta that they put on my eye. The optometrist said it was the largest abrasion he'd ever seen. It was like, he said if I would have waited another day, I would have lost vision in that eye. But they put this. He doesn't know that. No, yeah. no, no, not complete though. Like, a, no, a it would have, yeah, it would have scarred up to the extent that there would have been a, you know, lifetime. Fog. Yeah, I'm a little sensitive to this because right now my wife's freaking out that she got a welding helmet from someone. Oh, so the, the kids could watch the eclipse through a welding helmet. Then she got to reading about how there's like gradations of protection in a welding helmet. Like, yeah. you know, eight up to whatever, or below eight up to whatever. And you're supposed to have a. Th- anyway, she's worried that it didn't have the right glass in it, that she'd, like, permanently damaged the kid's <laughs> eyes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I just feel like they're a little more durable. Yeah, oh, for sure. I did, uh, on that note, I was using one of those, uh, you know, they have the automatic welding masks, mm-hmm. where as soon as you, you know, make connection, it will... Yeah, darken. no, I've used that stuff, yeah, but there's a delay. Well, unbeknownst to me, I mean, I was younger, too. I was, like, in my early 20s. The battery was dead, and it wasn't actually going dark. I welded for, you know, like an hour and it, it wasn't, it, you know, it's tinted. Yeah. And so I thought it was, I was like, man, this is great. I can see perfect during the welding, but it wasn't actually dimming. And that felt, I ended up burning my, yeah my eyes from that, but it heals up. Um, I got snow blindness. Yeah. It's not like yeah. That. Twice. Once ice fishing on Pendles Lake in michigan's upper peninsula and we all got it we were out there in the blazing ass sun before we really kind of got onto sunglasses yeah and um You're like the makushi indian yeah drinking uh like it was real cold out and you'd put boone's farm out and like the, everything <laughs> would freeze but the syrup would rise up to the surface so we're just drinking the the liquidy the the boozy elixir that comes up to the top of a frozen the bottle liquor. of boone's and not just worrying about anything. in Northerns and Yellow Perch. And uh, we all got, and then that night, man, get back. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's like hey, oh, did yeah. you guys rub gravel into my eyeballs? <laughs> yeah. And then um, another time I was with this dude, 
Rick Weirston, we were welding up snapping turtle traps. We just making them out of woven wire. Oh yeah. we had this. We had this like really. Them. Yeah, we had this like really heavy gauge woven wire, and we were we were against a building that had been sided and corrugated. Oh yeah. So sided and core like what you'd put for corrugated roofing. Yeah. But it was sided in that. So when Rick would strike the arc, I would just turn and look away. But I'm looking at that <laughs> at the unpainted corrugated yeah. building. Just getting zapped. Yeah. So Ash, we got this trap welded up a couple hours ago by, and I had to go down in the emergency room. Oh, yeah. Dude, that hurts. Well, that's what I would say to your kids. Like, they would know. That's what I was telling my wife. Like, yeah. It would be bugging I'm them. like, he wouldn't have stared at it for eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. But apparently you can. I don't know. Eyes all you, good, if you had like if you if you um are married or whatever if you have children with a woman it's a lot better that the woman worries about the kids than not yeah that's true so it's, you can't be like critical of someone for worrying no. about their well-being because yeah. there's the op there's the opposite right yeah where they, they just don't care about the kids well-being <laughs> which is like very alarming yeah it's, it's more alarming than when they care too much yeah no that's good that's good mothering so there you are out in the woods pine needle whaps you in the eye yeah tears your thing yeah you walk out, and the, my favorite part of the story is you had the foresight to practice driving with one eye, <laughs> knowing that you might have to make a long drive the next day with only yeah. one eye. Well, the whole hike out, <laughs> I couldn't, I could not see shit, man. That's that's something you you learn to appreciate to anyone who's lost or you know had to cover their eye for an extended period. Is depth perception is critical for the world being. Yeah, manageable. it was a decent hike too. It was probably four miles ish. Yeah. And it was like, you know, end of day kinda. I mean Did I was just you... stumbling over stuff and Yeah. Depth depth perception is uh critical for driving too. Oh yeah, I mean. <laughs> it all worked out though. Like, is that curve up ahead or yeah. <laughs> right driving here. real slow. My favorite part of the story is that like three days go by, we're texting with Garrett. He's all right. He's got his patch on his eyeball and everything. And uh, he had taken a, um, we'd rented a nice suburban <laughs> for the trip. We had been left with like the big cargo van. And uh, like three days go by and we're on our way home. And uh, Garrett's like, so uh, this is a nice suburban. I'm like, what do you mean? You haven't taken it back yet? He's like, I don't know. I kind of like driving it around. <laughs> with, my, with my one eye. We would. Me and Andrew would just go take, like, evening drive just because it was so nice. <laughs> you know, days after that happened, I get a picture of my little nephew up in Anchorage. Oh, yeah. Who had the same, similar thing happen where he got a devil's club oh, thorn. Oh. Got a devil's club thorn in his eye. Yeah. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And he went and had to have surgery. Yeah. Well, they say he was in a wheel, like in the picture, he's in a wheelchair. Like I think they had to put him under to work on his eye. Yeah, yeah. They say that organic materials will cause infection faster than like metal shaving, or which is surprising to me, like mm-hmm. a pine needle or devil's devil's club. But the the stems that's what blew me away was when the doctor's like, we you know usually you could use this protective lens and it just allows the the eye to heal itself. He's like, but now recently they passed the stem cell lens and it's like he said it would have been like three weeks with the old one the new one was three days it took longer because of the you know just because the damage was so extensive but they make this this eye patch out of placenta yeah 
and it, it's cr- I mean, it just it was awesome. And they, he was saying they're doing it in knees and stuff. I mean, did you get the wondering about whose placenta it was? Well, I, I, I jokingly was saying I should track down the placenta, like film my journey to find the gal who the donated her placenta. Was, I know, and tell her she saved. My Dude, life. if I ever had like a piece of some other mug put in me, like how they do, you know, yeah, little bits and pieces. You want to track down the? Donor. I would just spend all my time reading about that person and finding <laughs> out about them, going and visiting them. Yeah. It would haunt me, man. It does. It pops up in my mind. But I mean, they, from what, and you guys may know, all being, uh, you know, parents, and, but friends of mine that have been asked if they would donate their placenta for such causes, it's like during the, the chaos of, you know, being pregnant and stuff, you don't even think about it. Like this, whoever's placenta ended up in my eye, they prayed. And, didn't think about it. Yeah, it didn't even cross their mind. Well, my, when we were having kids, the first time we had a kid, I was talking like, like, I got a friend, Bruce, who, well, let me back up. When we were having our first kid, I was going to eat the placenta. <laughs> then I was going to um, drink the milk, my wife's milk. Oh, yeah. Just to be part of the whole experience. I just was like, how convenient. you know? <laughs> why? Well, I don't know why. <laughs> I just had it in my head that I was like, I had read that people can eat. Oh, you know, a little bit because, like, you know, I've pushed the limits of what a person can eat. Mm-hmm. And the next frontier, right? The next threshold <laughs> is that you would eat folks. Yeah. So, um, it just seemed like a good way to be like uh, to be like if you're talking to someone. Oh yeah, you ever had the monkey? How about squirrel? I'd be like, you ever had folks? <laughs> I have. We, I think so. we we sent, we sent uh, from the second birth. We sent it off, and they. Uh, I want to say they dried it or dehydrated it and then turned it into capsules yeah there's some hoodoo jibber that like some like pseudoscience that you like eat the placenta and it makes you like super healthy again well that was it's the same so you have been you've cannibalized you've if, eaten if eating the yeah dehydrated eating meat it's a muscle <laughs> mm-hmm. right or a thing a body part mm-hmm. you've eaten human body parts mm-hmm. That explains. Uh, so he's got one up on me. <laughs> you didn't end up. So what yeah, happened? I think you turned chickened down out. the. You chickened out on the breast milk too. Chickened out. No, I got a friend Bruce who, when he goes into the fridge, like for you guys that haven't <laughs> been through this yet, like a woman, um, will save up. A mother will, like, she produces more milk than the kidney can produce. Same same with dairy cows, right? Yeah. That's why, like, Stock when pile. a dairy cow, not to equate, <laughs> not to equate the mother, of my children to a dairy cow. Uh, but when a dairy cow drops a calf, the cow can produce vastly more milk than the calf needs. So what they do in the big commercial milk facilities, they just take the calf away and raise the calf on formula. Oh yeah, and then milk the cow to death because it's producing within a couple cycles. You know, like yeah. you used to tell, like a cow used to be good for like ten lactations. Now with all the things they do, little trickery they have, they can like get all the milk you're ever going to get out of that thing in a couple lactations. So they take the calf away, feed it on formula, and then milk enough milk out of that cow to feed a whole herd of calves. Yeah. So ladies will uh, do the same. Yeah, because like if you're going to go out, like for instance, if you're going to go out, let's say you have oh, yeah. the kid, and then you're going to go out and drink mm-hmm. a couple glasses of wine, and you don't want to go give the kid milk that you're producing when you drank the wine, you'll just pump a little bit ahead of time 
put it in the fridge in little bottles, go have a couple glasses of wine, come home, pump that milk, dump that milk out, and give the kid the milk in the fridge. Can you taste, like with cattle, you can taste, we had a milk cow growing up, and if it got into different plants, you could, you know, if they were like strong. Well, I don't know because I don't drink enough of it. But yeah, like I know that if a cow gets into wild onion, you got to like throw yeah. the milk out. But I'm wondering with the uh, with the woman's milk, like could you taste the difference in the wine milk? I didn't. I, I just used it for coffee creamer. But you did that too. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Bruce Bull would go in, pour a cup of coffee, go over there and just tip a little of that milk in there and stir it up. <laughs> well, like, I tell you, oh, I can't. You don't do need it. any sugar. That stuff sweet. is sweet. Oh yeah, it it tastes like it's just maybe so not you, quite. You as drank sweet a lot of it. Condensed milk. Yeah, because I'd look at it and be like, "Man, that's some high dollar shit right there." I'm not just going to dump it down the drain. And there ends up being a lot in the freezer at times. That's not. Oh yeah, used. my wife would stack that stuff yeah. away. My wife came to understand hunting better uh, by stacking up milk. Because she was like, <laughs> "I get it, man." Because she's like, you know, she oh, always yeah. does. I like to get all that meat, like just fill that freezer up with yeah. stacks of meat, you know, and then be like, "Now we're set, right?" Yeah. And um, she's like. And she always ate it, but didn't think about it. And then when she started saving up those little bags yep. of milk, she's like, "I totally get it now, man." I, you open that freezer door, and you got all that feels good. In yeah. there. My wife grew to hate that pumping machine, though. She just would look at it and just get angry. <laughs> oh, dude, it's so bizarre, man. I don't think it's a real comfortable. No, no process. one looks forward to pumping. <laughs> and then you're at work, and you got to go like, you yeah, know, you're sitting at your desk, that thing pumping away on there. People like, you know, you know, like a lot. Yeah, it's, it's no, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for people. But uh, what happened to one time, my wife's friend had a health emergency and had to do a bunch of, uh, had to do some narcotics for a health emergency. Oh, yeah. And then my wife was able to dig into her stash of milk for that baby. Yeah. So it doesn't matter, yeah. Mother to child, it can be any. No. But to answer your question, I heard some research. um, I heard a radio program on they were talking about how kids grow up with like basically different palates, you know, yeah. and how you could be like somehow like sweet at, or, at, or at a year old, yeah, be used to like Indian food, right? Yeah, because like Indians are used to eating Indian food from whatever, and they were saying that like yeah, the kids get a lot of sort of the Flavor. you get their palate built up by drinking breast milk because mom's eating yeah everything she's always eating, you know, and that goes in there, yeah. Yeah, if you have like a super bland diet, the mom is just eat like a bunch of onto yeah, a bunch of processed grains and uh, yeah. So, uh, did we kind of wrap up the whole thing with your eye? So now yeah. you're back in action. Yeah, feeling good. Spot, Spot game. game. Spot and dogs. Got dirt. Got one of his like uh, like a just a good just honest, felt good. Yeah, a good honest spot. And it wasn't like we're because oftentimes camera guys do this. You'll be looking way off yonder right trying to spot the faraway <laughs> mystery animals into the fog and yeah. you forget about that there's all kinds of area right around you and a camera guy will turn around and see one right close yeah which happens yeah and you're like oh yeah, that's cool that doesn't really count though dirt had a game a spot where it was there's deer trees. over there and i'm like dirt bullshit <laughs> so i said did you see it move yes it moved so i said 100 like, i started getting interested Cause like when some like when someone like sees like I think I see a deer and then a while later like hasn't moved at all no it's still possible but then I start getting more skeptical that they're looking at a rock off color rock or yeah. a deer but there's like no it moved and it took us a long time to confirm but you had 
game-eyed, a yep. very difficult spot. Well, too, I would say it was critical timing. As I remember, and this may be just to boost my inner want to be a hero, it had been a slow couple 30 minutes of no no deer being spotted. And it kind of reinvigorated yeah, everyone. Yeah, but let me say, if you're in a spot where 30 minutes without seeing a deer is a big deal, <laughs> you're in a good spot. <laughs> That's a good problem. Yeah. Well, it was a good spot. <laughs> no, his spot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the spot on the mountain was good and dirt. Yeah. yeah. It was, re- you said all all other species, um, confusion and lack of spotting was forgiven. It was so good yeah. that I forgave you all the times you haven't spotted a game or spotted a game that wasn't game. Yep. And I forgave you temporarily mixing up one animal from the other. Yeah. Because... The rabid man-eating mink that we had, <laughs> the rabid man-eating mink that we later encountered. I was quick to correct, Marmot. The 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 bleeding rabid ra- man-eating mink. The, the dirt, local dirt kept describing it as a marmot. I did once. <laughs> I did once hanging around my cabin eating salmon carcasses. As a mar as a marmot, rough looking eating mink. salmon carcasses. <laughs> but turns out the the fellas we were talking to last night that that. It's Scraggly. a well-known mm-hmm. Yeah, It's been there for years. Okay, so all right. That's interesting. I wanted to get to Mooch and Cohos and, and, and shoot, oh, shoot a little yeah. box with humongous guns. <laughs> but um <laughs> but uh, we'll touch on the mink. So we when we fillet salmon, we'll use the like we'll fillet a salmon and then we'll use the trim uh for chum for halibut. You just take like the bone, you know, the spine. Use it for chum for halibut, or take the head and use it for shrimp bait, whatever. So we don't immediately discard it. We'll like clean fish and set them out. When there's bears hanging around, we're pretty careful about it. And we hang the chum up, but there had you know whatever. Just left the the bait bucket, the chum bucket sitting out. And I noticed that some of them had gnawing on the on the bones, which was fine. And it turns out this little mink, uh has been coming in there and it's got at the up top of the base of its tail has a very size bigger than a quarter yeah yeah a fat i I would go so far as to call it a festering wound yeah oh yeah a festering wound yeah and this mink has absolutely no uh i shouldn't say absolutely virtually no fear of humans yeah foot away to the point where it even gets like a little kind of aggro on you, a little bit aggressive on you. Standing its ground. Yeah. Yep. And curious about you. Possibly rabid, we were thinking. Something wrong with <laughs> yeah. it, for sure. And I got to where... It's old, I think. So it's it, definitely it old. It looks like real shit. Fast. Even besides its injury, it looks like shit. Yeah. Usually when you see minks, they have like, they almost like flow across sleek. the landscape. You know, yeah. there's real like a sleek. snake-like yeah. movement to them. And this sucker has more of like a hobbling like he's got like a hitch in his giddy up you know? yeah like an old like some imagine some he's got stories for really sure. old lady with a really old poodle <laughs> if you watch that poodle walk around <laughs> scruffy yeah in southeast alaska so the mink i got to where i i started toying with the idea of killing it with a rock only because i had in my head that there's something wrong with it it's sick and it's like suffering and 
it's potentially like a hazard to be around when you're sleeping and things around with you know yeah he just is weird yeah yanni told me that would be playing god then i said you know what i'm gonna shoot it with a shotgun then i didn't uh do that he kind of vanished then i thought then me and brody like oh he crawled off and died yeah then we get talking to some boys down the beach and they're telling us that that mink has just been hanging around for years with a festering wound on the base of its tail. Running around on the dock. doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> they named it. What was its name? I can't remember. Fester? <laughs> and you said that was a female mink because it was a lighter color. Yeah. yeah and then we saw it's, it's not healthy. fail safe, but like, like when I used to trap mink, a male mink, you know, would be twice as worth twice as much as a female much longer than a female so like a male mink might be 24 inches nose to base of tail mink could be you know 14 or whatever females they're they're generally lighter color they generally seem to have like a they're they're like i could be mistaken about this one but i think i remember this, that the the tail to body ratio was less tail for body length right than a male then we later saw a couple of males fighting. Yeah, yeah, just big. Screeching. Yeah, big. Yeah, they have a crazy screech. Yeah, thing. that sound was, I would have never thought that that was two minks. You knew right Fighting away. Minks. Yeah. yeah, well, I'd just seen them and heard them before. And do you remember, do you remember, were you there at Doug Duran's out and uh, there was a mink raiding a squirrel nest? And I could hear him way up in a tree and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I realized that there's a mink up in a tree fighting with a squirrel because he's trying to raid the squirrel nest to get the babies out. But the squirrel was fighting him and that mink was up there doing that crazy fighting sound too. My money would be on the mink. They're weasel family, right? Oh, yeah, you don't mess with them. Yeah. Yeah, no one wants to mess with a mink, man. Um, So wh- while you're here, Dirt, uh, yeah. what, t- what was your impression of Mooch and Coho's, man? Oh, man. You found your calling. Yeah. yeah I'll dream of the mooch madness of Ot 17 for years to come i mean that it was fun explain it well explain you, why you're having such a hard time with it well initially and then you got so good at yeah it. the the initial hit just causes like i feel like a uh the reaction is to set it like you're fly fishing or you know real fishing just the excitement and then you get limped on back in, up as steve says you'll the, the the to set it like you're doing what yeah, just like to really, I mean, it's oh. such a it's such an aggressive hit when you're you're like slowly jigging fifty to thirty feet. Yeah, let me let me break it down for a minute just to yeah. catch people up. So, um, you guys can butt in if I miss out any things that you think are helpful to people's understanding. Awesome. So, in the area of southeast Alaska, where where we we have a fishing shack, um. Well, if you're going there in the winter, there's not going to be a lot of cohos around. There's some resident kings that you might catch there, but there won't be many cohos around. The cohos are coming in to the inner waters, congregating up, and they're getting ready to go up rivers and spawn. And they start showing up, but you're like out in the, you know, you're out in the legit ocean. Um, but it's fish that are preparing to do their spawn run. And then I believe other cohos are mixed in that are not going to do a run that year, but the big schools come in. And in this area, they tend to congregate around rocky points, like big cliffy points, either because, I'm sure someone knows the answer to this, either because they're pushing bait 
they're pushing herring and schooling herring, and it winds up being that they're schooling herring up against the cliff walls, or the herring like those places. Like the, the herring are in those points, and the cohos just come and find them there. I'm not sure which of those is true. But when you pass over, so, so you're fishing where you could take a slingshot and hit the cliff with a rock. But it's deep too, right? But it's still 100, 200, yeah. 300 feet deep. Uh, and you'll pass over with a fish finder. You don't need to use a fish finder necessarily, but it's really helpful. You'll pass over with a fish finder. You'll find the big bait balls. You'll either see big bait balls, like just look like giant wads of something. And they're thick enough that they're dense. So the sonar will show like red, red and yellow balls of something, not on, you know, hovering in the mid water column. And you'll mark slashes, like individual slashed fish. And the cohos tend to, even if you're in 300 feet of water, they're up. They tend to be around 45, 50 feet. So you got 300 feet water column, and you'll see 45 feet down, you'll see slashes or balls, big balls of bait, and a big ball of bait on your sonar might look like it starts at 30 feet down and extends down to 70 feet. So like, you know, sizable chunks. And when you see that, you just say like, you'll shout out a depth. And then a mooching rig is like big, long noodle rods, nine feet, nine and a half foot rods with a level wind reel and i like to use a line counter a reel with a line counter on it and you got your main line running out and you got like a little flash or it looks like a crushed beer can and then 18 inches of line or whatever and then you put a four ounce banana weight then you got a you know three feet of leader coming off that and a little two hook harness rig that you hook a piece of cut herring on and when you see that bait ball, you just shout out 40 feet. Everybody drops down to 40 feet. And if all goes well, whap, whap, whap. That's what I say. That was co-host. I really like that part. It's like we're kind of, you know, motoring around and you're eyeing the uh, the sonar. And then when you'd say like, oh, fish at 30 feet, it was just like, oh, sweet. Game on. It's fun. Yeah. Real fun. And uh, dirt would get a hit, and you would just try to bitch slap. It. Yeah, and like you said, I think what I, it was that, and then also like when you bitch slap it, like that, when you said it like that, you're also going to let the slack out, and they just. Well, no, because there's two things you're doing. I was doing something wrong. You're limp dicking. Yeah, limp dicking. Where you here's the this is the most common problem I've found with people who come out and haven't grown up. Or have who aren't accustomed to salt water, yeah. deep salt water fishing. Yes, fifty feet, significant. Is they, and even jigging deep water, like jigging oh, halibut, yeah. three hundred feet of water. People have a tendency to do a very like rambunctious hook set. Yep. Without reeling, so they're. Doing a big hook set. So imagine that you're imagine the, the hands of a clock, and the water is like the three and nine position. Okay, so the you got a horizontal plane, and your rods out horizontal above the horizontal plane of the water. Their hook set takes them all the way up to twelve o'clock. Then, for whatever reason, they lower the rod very quickly back down to the horizontal plane, not feeling anything. 
and not reeling. Yeah. So they're like setting the hook. They're saying to the fish, gotcha. Yeah. Then they're saying, just kidding, because they lower the rod back down. In a, and on a nine-foot rod, you're all of a sudden like providing the fish with tons of slack. Yeah. And when you think about the mechanics of a hook, the hook just falls back out of its mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And that, People just like, yeah, limp dicking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't get it. But real, when you're setting real. Yeah. I get once after three, I think three misses, I didn't miss another got, fish. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you got deadly. Yeah. Because you realize that you can't just go, I'm going to lift the rod, 10 feet up in the air, and I'm going to drop yeah. it back down to the water and let you go. It was a reaction just because of that hit. But yeah, if you can keep your calm is real bring in a nice how big were those but i think too though on that since we're talking about this hook set now because there is no virtually no slack if you're fishing it right yeah. and when the fish takes you it, don't need a hook set if yeah if you over hook set you know like with a big giant motion you could be pulling it right out of his mouth or right through his mouth literally ripping off chunks of his yeah popping yeah popping the hook out of his lip mm-hmm. yeah you yeah. know um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I wonder if it has something to do with like the amount of slack that you're fishing with. Because like fly fishing, right? You always, like, you rarely ever tight line no. while you're fly fishing, unless no. you're doing some sort of like check nymphing thing, right, right Brody? Where you'd have actual like, uh, yeah, like, I, you, you have an actual feel to the to the fly. Normally, there's slack, so when the fish takes it. You have to make an exaggerated motion to take all that slack out as mm-hmm. fast as you can. But that's not actually setting the hook. You're just no. removing the slack so that then the rod can b- barely bend and, and set the hook in. You're you know? set, reeling down on the fish. Yeah, because I think they're eating that herring and turning with it. And if you reel, you're going to hook them. Yes. But yeah. if you come up and then drop your rod tip, nothing's going to happen. But here, yeah, a but lot of times they're swimming. They're eating it and swimming towards you at the same time. So. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He's coming up and grabbing it. And I think that when people are like, well, I'm getting it. It's like, you don't get a hit. You don't like the, the, a, a, sand, don't a coho doesn't come up and nibble yeah. on a herring. They're swallowing it. Hopefully. He's taking it. Yeah. He's not going up like, oh, I'm going to. He's not like being like a catfish who's just down there, like leisurely messing around with your bait to see if it's something he wants to consume. That thing is coming up and grabbing it. When you get like a hit, what you think is a hit is the fish taking it. Yeah. But he's a lot of times rocketing up. Because sometimes you'll hook a coho, you'll think he had a hit, and the next thing you know, some bitch is up in the air out of the water because he <laughs> comes up and hits it, comes up and jumps, and all of a sudden you like feel like you had a hit, but then there's a fish flying through the air. Yeah, yeah. I hooked one that, I hooked it on my side of the boat, and it ended up jumping behind us on the other side of the boat. Yeah. In which and, case, he's cre- he or she are, is creating slack. That's mm-hmm. why the astute angler <laughs> doesn't say, ooh, I'm getting a hit, and sit there. And he doesn't overdo it and do some massive, rambunctious hook set. He feels the take and reels down on the fish. Now, setting a hook, like, setting a hook is an end result, right? Setting a hook means you're punching that hook my understanding of it is the same way when you got that hook in your hand right it never set Mm -mm. meaning it never got the barb in there right 
So if I had at that moment when you were tangled up in your own hook on a fish in a net, had I grabbed that line and did a hook set, right, Mm -hmm. you'd still have that hook in your hand. Or you'd be going to a place, a professional facility to get it removed. So a hook set is a end is a is a is a thing that happens from something you did. When when you reel down, I feel like you are putting that hook home. Yeah. Barbs. Keeping right? everything. Tight. Yeah, you're not you're not setting it with the so lifting you of the rod. Are setting the hook. You're just not setting the hook by doing some crazy thing. Yeah. You're reeling down on that fish. Yeah. But I think nine out of ten just you know, average level fishermen or just people in America, if you said, set the hook, which what yeah. does that mean or whatever? They would give you some, you know, exaggerated motion of lifting the rod tip, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's what I want to see my clients do. Like, right. Bam. <laughs> really? They need to look like the Statue of Liberty. That's right. We saw his teach them With like no that. reeling. Oh, I don't need it. It's a fly reel. Like, you could reel for 10 minutes. We don't and- reel at all. It's all stripping, right? Because there's, there's so it's such a narrow arbor on that thing. Like it takes you ten seconds to reel in five feet of line. Yeah. So you so set, so like limp dick when you're guiding fishermen. Well, I don't want to see him come up and then back down again. You like don't say no because that the same thing you were talking about. Like it's up and stay up. You know, keep it taut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was always told to put the butt towards the fish. Fly fishing. Once you got one on. Does that make sense? Is that something you That's guys a good. I, I, n- I never heard it, but it makes sense, yeah. Just to keep, keep from limp dicking. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools 
free for all on X hunt elite members not an elite member well let's fix that use code me eater to receive 20 percent off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this is an app i use literally every day i use it for every aspect of hunting scouting trapping you name it man i just got a new truck before i even drove my new truck anywhere i wasn't gonna drive it anywhere until i put a deck system in it that's how, that's what a believer i am in decked I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed. You can put stuff on the top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. So you want them getting the hang of it. Oh man. Dude. It's so, it's the it's most like fun thing on the planet. Yeah. I would rather, uh, another way to catch silver is wait till they go up in the river. I mean, there's a hundred ways to catch them, but a couple ways that we catch them is wait till they go up in the river miles and then just huck spinners at them. Yeah. Or throw flies at them. Well, these were even like mooch is so much fun. And then a couple of those times they would like, I don't know if they'd pop off the set, the, the, the hooks or whatever, but they'd be chasing the herring up to the boat as you reeled up. Yeah. Yeah. So I never expected it to be visual. Yeah. Like we were seeing those things next to yeah. the boat. Nice bag limit too. You allowed six a day. How big, what would you say the average size of those were? That we I mean, there's like giants out there and all that, but what we were, catching. I would say, and we don't throw every fish on. I mean, we don't throw really many fish on a scale at all. But just eyeballing them, yeah, and having weighed a lot of fish, we definitely. I don't think we caught a twelve pound silver. And in those in our area in our fishing, like a, a twelve pound silver would be like a nice fish. We caught a lot of like six to ten pounders. Yeah, like yeah. In that range. Yeah, beautiful, strong, crazy, oh, crazy. How and they go now. crazy. Yeah, yeah, and taste good. We did a uh, raw. We ate one raw after freezing it to get rid of parasites. Yeah, yeah. That's Amazing. the thing. We used to eat, like, when we used to catch a king, <clears throat> we just eat the thing raw, not even freezing it. But there is some, and I used to think it was, like, people being hysterical, saying that it's a bad idea to do it, but it's uh, advised that you freeze it and then promptly thaw it out and yeah. then cut it for then cut it for sashimi. See, I had always heard do that with freshwater fish, but not that you didn't need to freeze saltwater fish. Yeah, with salmon, I think it's like be- it's best practices, and I think it's 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 my again my understanding. Someone could write in and contradict. Um, best practices to take that salmon, and I think and, I, and my understanding too is this is what they do in sushi restaurants: is they're freezing it and then serving it. Would salmon be good as ceviche? I've had like oh, you yeah, know, ocean man. bass and stuff. But yeah, salmon. it's really good. Yeah, huh. it's really good. Giannis's sushi was good. Yeah, it was. He did a good job slicing it just right. 
Yeah. But it did have like texture. It was mushy. Yeah. Like mushy? No. No. The opposite. Yeah. Like instead of being that like creaminess that you expect from like a good oh. sashimi fish, it had almost a little bit more al dente than I was expecting. Yeah, I wonder well, if that's Coho's not the most popular like the most popular sushi grade salmon. Sockeye, maybe? Kings. Oh really? Yeah. And now you can't catch them. I, I wonder if it was temporarily where, right now in this area. Yes. yes. Like where the, that, cause that was a fillet, part of the fillet near the tail. Like I wonder if it would have been. Yeah, off the shoulder. Well, I advised them against that. Like the loin. I want to go on record as saying, why are you doing the tail? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Test run. It's because it was a test run. So now we know. We're all going to go home and pick out the biggest, fattest, thickest slab and try it again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, another kind of fishing we were doing was we were doing deep water jigging, and uh, Dirt pulled up a world record silver gray rockfish, five hundred feet. Well, that counter you said is off, but probably three hundred feet, right? Yeah, over three hundred feet. Big silver gray. Those so coals you're allowed six a day. You're allowed a rockfish a day as a non-resident, right? Is that the same for residents? Same for residents. Yeah. So when we bought our place many, many years ago. You were allowed, I think at that time, I could be wrong, but I think at that time you were allowed, a non-resident was allowed one or two yellow eyes a day. Then it went into an annual limit. Last year, you were allowed two yellow eyes a day. Or two, a I'm year. sorry, two yellow eyes per year. This year, one yellow eye per year. Crazy. And on the west side of the island, no yellow eye retention this year for non-residents or no across the board for anyone wow this year. and they closed the winter king salmon and the winter king got down shut down but they closed the winter king salmon not to do with fish up here but they're because they're having such poor returns in some rivers south of here and you can't and, and like counts are so down in some of the rivers south of here more in the like we're in southeast alaska but like northwest washington yeah uh, some of the returns are so low that they did an emergency shutdown of Kings here in hopes that there's like in hopes that that some of those fish are up here. Did they shut anything down around you in Seattle at all? You know, I don't know because I, I don't know as far as like wild Kings. I don't know what's going on yeah. down there right now. I'm just surprised like non-commercial sport fishing would have an impact on something like that. One could argue that it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I could see like you know, guided services or commercial. Yeah, but that that that'll get closed too. Yeah, but they, you know, what a couple weeks ago, well, a few, no, I guess a month or so ago now, there was a king, a commercial king season going on out here. Yeah. So you got a commercial king season going on, and then later they like, it, it you know, I mean, there's so many like, there, there's so many conflicting interests. And and the way like in Alaska they tear out importance level yeah of fisheries okay and and, and it's, it's all very reasonable but importance level be like subsistence fisheries get are like top tier importance okay so people that rely on the fishery for like their own consumptive use so that's like a primary food primary food source. And there's like cultural heritage there. Okay, like 
that user group is going to get top preference. Yeah. And commercial interests are going to get preference over recreational. Yeah. Because of the livelihood. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, uh, and then you get into this numbers game of what's more valuable to the state. What's more valuable to the state would be like, is the commercial harvest and the jobs generated from fish processing and, and all the economic activity that goes along with commercial fishery. Is that more important or a more vital revenue stream for the state than all the economic activity generated around recreational fishing? But it's kind of funny. It's like from the, from the perspective of a personal use fisherman, it's really funny to be out. Like we'll be out fishing. And you're under a bag limit. Like, let's say you're allowed, like, like, whatever, like six silvers a day or a king a day in a slot limit. And you're fishing within stone's throw of a purse saner. Yeah. yeah. It's just like it winds up feeling kind of like, like off kilter. Yeah. But those guys have a quota that they're under. Yes. Yes. There's that. Or it'd be that you're out fishing halibut rod and reel and you're allowed two halibut okay a day it's a very generous bag it's a lot of halibut right yeah you're allowed two halibut a day but next to you is a halibut long liner who's running miles of hooks it just winds up you know i mean it's like there's like a and it all makes sense but it's like it's like out in the salt water when you're fishing amid commercial extraction it does wind up seeing like like kind of a drop in the bucket it seems like kind of arbitrary this 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 may be a reach. You guys may give me help for this, but problem if you're gonna because pre- like a lot of things you say, you don't even know, right? The fact that you're anticipating blowback, <laughs> it makes I'm me, curious though, makes me nervous because this could be good. As a you know, living in Montana, fishing fishing up here on the Pacific, and it's like this massive body of water, and it's like when it, when the when we're mooching and it's going off it feels like there's like a limitless su- supply of these fish and it kind of i was just like thinking it could equate to what the early settlers thought of as the buffalo being yes. a, a vast un- very good point yes so yeah that's how it kind of works in my mind an inability to comprehend the finiteness yeah. of a resource just because you're so overwhelmed with how much there is in your little world. So my buddy, uh, speaking of the yellow eye thing, the yellow eye restrictions, my buddy who is a biologist uh, was saying to me the other day, and this is like a good dude, very concerned about resources, practices a lot of personal restraint, cares deeply, the kind of guy that if to save, if someone said to him, if someone said to him, we can save the fishery, but that would mean you can never fish again the rest of your life. He would be like, okay, if that's the way it has to be, fine. Yeah, It means that much to me to have it out there. Knowing it's there means more to me than contributing to his demise. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of fella. He was saying to me, he's like, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the yellow eye thing because when I drop down, I catch one. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but that's like so anecdotal, dude. You might be, you know, how do you, it's like. He also said they don't really know a lot about them. 
like as far as numbers and stuff like no that. but they know those sons of bitches when you catch a big one those sons yeah. of bitches are 80 90 years old yep wow yeah the guy at the lodge caught a 30 pounder that they aged at 110 yeah oh, how old was that fish yanni oh. i forget now it was 98 it was right or 108 but it was around 100 years old they they, yeah. they did a test on its ear bone dude any any yellow eye you catch is old enough to vote right and most of them are going to be old enough to get draw social security uh, is there much of a commercial fishery for those bycatch yeah but then even it's limited so like i've got friends that used to do commercial that commercial long line for halibut and you're trying to get out and set up on big flat areas okay but now and then you'd screw up and you'd set too close to a rock bluff or cliff face and it'd just be like a bunch of yellow eyes come yeah. up and you just got to float all those fish come the commercial guys because you're limited to your percentage of like your bycatch like for instance when 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 you used to be able to like in u.s waters you used to be able to fin for sharks okay so you could be a swordfish longliner and be running big pelagic long lines and catch sharks and then just take the thing of instead of like filling your hold up with shark flesh that isn't valuable you could just fin the sharks and keep the fins for the Send markets, to Asia. The, the Asian markets, just keep fins. to be like, I'm not going to like use valuable hold space and valuable ice to chill shark meat that isn't worth as much as swordfish meat. Yeah. So what they could do is just cut fins. It'd be like legally just taking a backstrap off of a deer. Yeah. Like I, I, only got, I got a little small freezer and it's going to fill a backstrap. <laughs> so I go shoot 20 deer and have just backstrap in there. But then what they wound up doing in U.S. waters, they came in and said, like, of your haul of shark, the, the, it's, fins can only be a certain percentage of your total haul of shark that you're bringing in. And they've made it that you basically can't, I can't remember what it was. It's some number. Like, it wasn't, like, let's just say it was 20%. They've right? made it not cost, uncost-effective to do that. Yeah, yeah, in order to try to slow down the harvest on sharks so with the bycatch thing with all commercial fishing it's like there'll be a, not all you can never say all like it's so like the, the regulatory structures are just like mind-bogglingly complex and there's no generalizations but it'll be percentages of take or whatever allowed in bycatch if you screw up or just whatever like my nature conspires against you and you pull up your thing and you got like no halibut but shitloads of yellow eyes you can't just be like sweet yeah it's a bummer but you'll still walk into like anthony's which is a popular seafood chain in the pacific northwest you'll still walk into anthony's and see rockfish on the menu yeah it's like you're looking at you're looking at you know bycatch fishery at least some of it's getting used yeah but the minute but it's so here's why it's so, so people are like that's ridiculous it shouldn't be that way what's the what's the alternative they'd be targeted. like okay yeah uh all bycatch is okay then some dude's like oh you mean yellow eyes bringing right whatever a pound i'm gonna accidentally exactly set yeah. up against this cliff yeah. and and make a bunch of money well the same argument is made against keeping roadkill or i mean i've heard people make that same argument i think that's a silly argument but go ahead and explain it yeah where it's like well now it's legal as of a couple years you smoke a deer on accident you can 
you know, call it in. In your state, is, in yeah, your state is now legal. Yeah. And yeah. for a while, it wasn't legal because people worried that, you know, guys would get big cow pusher bumpers and just go out and target <laughs> road. Which seems just kind of like. Oh, no. I, yeah, yeah. But it's like it's you're a similar argument. Killing yourself. Yeah. But even then, so in that state, you got, like when I was growing up with roadkill, like in Michigan, you could retain roadkill, but you had to secure a permit. And they were very liberal with the permits. I even yeah. remember picking up deer with my dad when I was a kid, and my dad would call. he just dial 911 or call the sheriff's office, whatever. And they would even be like, I'll bring you out a permit tomorrow. Yeah. Or, got it, we got your information, don't sweat it, take the deer. But uh, uh, thinking in like a state, like in some of the western states where you have seven eight nine species of big game some of them being very valuable right like a moose or yeah like bighorn like a bighorn ram oh yeah yeah if you have a 180 inch bighorn ram head you know it's worth thousands of dollars so even with the roadkill thing the roadkill thing only applies to certain creatures yeah so so, so that people won't target yeah like you still can't pick up a roadkill bighorn yeah and i think in a lot of states even with a whitetail or or a mule deer buck you can't retain the horns if you're taking i think that it's that way in colorado you can take a roadkill buck but you can't take the antlers can't retain the antlers gotcha and i've tried twice i think what why there's a hole in the in in that theory that people are just going to walk around you know smoking running over deer is that twice with my buddy jim miller he got two. I think one was a cow elk. I can't remember what the other one was. But rolled in there. I think even like DOT maybe showed up with like a, like a tractor or something to help load it into the back of his car. Like I met him after work and we started skinning that thing. You know, it had been gutted and it had been hanging and we started skinning it. And like we ended up, there was no meat that was good for human consumption. It was all just purple bruised, yeah. and beat up, bruised. Yeah. And it, we turned it all into dog food. Like it's not an efficient way to get meat Mm-mm. when you figure auto damage. Now, I one time killed one with a side view mirror. Oh, nice, clean. Oh, yeah, headshot. Headshot with a side view mirror. Tastes good. It was one of those side view mirrors on a truck that folds in anyway. So the old metal ones that yeah. had like the tubes, the tube <laughs> structure leading onto it. That thing come in and hit the window so hard, scared the shit out of me. But yeah, just like done. Yeah. You know, no meat damage. So you were saying with the back to the fisheries stuff, if you if it was a bycatch, you would try to get it. There was some way that you can try to get back down to the depth because they'll die. Yellow eye, yeah. yeah so, yellow so back eyes. to yellow eyes, and this is like this is kind of interesting to tell you like the intricacies of of fisheries management and stuff. So like take the case of the yellow eye now, rockfish. A lot of your and I don't know about more pelagic rockfish, but non-pelagic rockfish. So rockfish that just like live in a little spot down at the bottom of the ocean, Aren't in the rocks enough. or in the kelp, and they don't drift around and move do you, around. They do you want to explain pelagic versus non-pelagic? Pelagic is a word for like open ocean, and they so, move a lot. Yeah. So you have like pelag- you have reef, for instance, with sharks. You got reef sharks that are residents around. Then you got like a shark, like a mako which is regarded as a pelagic shark. So he drifts around on the open seas up in the water column, not affiliated with the bottom of the ocean. Like not like a benthic shark who lays down on the bottom. He's just out cruising around. Other pelagic fish would be your tunas. Like tunas. Billfish. Are, yeah, billfish, tunas, 
pelagic fish. Yeah. Cruise around in the open ocean. Um, so there are some species of rockfish that are regarded as pelagic rockfish. So they're not, they don't have like a lot of fidelity to their little home spot on the bottom of the ocean. Yellow eyes are non-pelagic. Just like he's got like a spot where he's got like generally doesn't move far, has like a place where he lives down the bottom of the ocean. He doesn't move around in the water column a lot. And for whatever, I, I guess, lack of adaptation or whatever, like he doesn't have the ability to adjust his swim bladder quickly to account for lateral movements in the water column. Or no, like an account for like a horizontal movement mm-hmm. in the water column. Pressure changes. The same way that humans can't. The same way that humans suck at it. Like yeah, he can't be down, down. three hundred feet down, and then do a rapid ascent to the surface and make the necessary pre- the necessary adjustments in pressure. Yeah, I read somewhere when we were getting ready, or I don't know, maybe oh, it was in that article. They're ta- it was in like a Anchorage newspaper and talking about the, this whole yellow eye rockfish management thing, and the guy. Uh, Equated it to um, basically you coming up in the in the water column, it, you would basically vomit your lungs. Mm. It's nice, yeah, very nice. Uh, but a halibut can you can crank a halibut? That's what I was gonna, yeah, yeah, you crank. See, but halibut move around all the time. Yeah, so they have they're that. up at you know people don't think about it, but halibut like yeah they're down, but they're up too. Yeah, you found we caught a, a halibut. Yeah. We caught a halibut that had a diving duck in its gut. Yeah, so they move around. And, you know, come up and go down. So they're, they can vent, right? Yeah. But when you crank a, a, a yellow eye, and all, many other species as well, we're just talking about yellow eyes here. When you crank a yellow eye up from 300 feet of water, 400 feet of water, the gases in his blood and the gases in his body expand rapidly. So when you pull him up, his stomach, his swim bladder, which is the thing they use for buoyancy, his swim bladder, the gases in there expand, and his swim bladder will have expanded so much that it shoves his stomach out of his mouth. So what you're looking at when he comes up is you're not looking at his swim bladder. You're looking at his, his stomach. Yeah. It looks like a hot dog sticking out of his mouth. And his eyes are... And the gas is behind his eyes, so his eyes are bugged out. And when you're fighting a yellow eye, he's fighting, fighting, fighting. But then you get him 100 feet off the bottom, you realize he's not fighting anymore. And when they come up, they just float. Like, yeah. you don't need to gaff them. You gaff them because they're very heavily armed and you can, you know, get bad infections from all the fins and spikes on them and stuff. But you don't need to gaff them to get in the boat. In fact, one time my brother was jigging and someone had on a fish in deep water and the fish came off. Halfway up, they lose the fish. Yeah. So like, oh, you know, fish got off, come unbuttoned. And a while later, he realizes, up comes, up floats the yellow eye. Dang. Yeah. Just kept, yeah. It got off, but it was too late, and it floated to the surface. So if you bycatch that. What guys used, yes, let me, let me explain. No, yeah. Let me, let me because there's like a lot of steps to this. A thing that people used to do is take a needle, and you could take a needle and vent the swim bladder. And people used to use that as a way to release rockfish. Is you'd vent the swim bladder and turn the fish loose. But because it's, there's confusion because the stomach is sticking out of his mouth, people were puncturing the fish's stomachs, mm. thinking they were venting the swim bladder. 
and then I think that's almost like like virtually guaranteed death yeah. to the fish. Then someone comes up with the idea of a deep water release mechanism, which imagine that you take a imagine you take a lead headed jig. Let's just say just for to visualize this. You take a lead headed jig, file away or pinch off the barb, and tie a line to the bend in the hook. Okay, so tie a, a line, uh, tie your line mid gape, right in the bend of the hook, and you just prick the hook into the fish's mouth, and you got a lead headed jig tied to your rod. But instead of tying it to the eye of the jig, you're tying it to the bend in yeah. the hook. Prick the fish in his mouth and drop the jig in the water, and let that lead headed jig carry that fish all the way. As soon as you catch it, send it right back down on a quick release mechanism. Let that lead-headed jig carry all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. And then jerk the rod, do a dirt myth hook set. Release that. Pull the hook back out of the fish. That is like a 90-some percent recovery rate for that fish. That's crazy. And how do they even know? Because it's like once they're down there. They put a marker on it, put a a transmitter on it, and see if he keeps moving around. So he'll readjust to that pressure. You can send him back down. The same way when a diver has the bends, they put him in a compression chamber. Just but visually looking at like a yellow, a yellow eye you pull up, it's like it's hard to visualize. It's hard to that think he would that, live. yeah, he'd go back to his little home place. So and be fine. This is where it gets interesting with with like I said, like drawn up fishing regulations. So you got this thing where you have like high mortality of a fish and catch and release isn't really an option. And, and this is where you get into the honor system because when you're fit, when you're intentionally fishing rockfish, you are not allowed to size grade your rockfish if you're intentionally fishing rockfish and you're thinking you're going to catch a 15 pound yellow eye and you drop that jig down and pull up a nine inch quillback rockfish you've hit your daily bag limit and you have to stop fishing rockfish yeah you cannot be like shit it's not the big boy not what i was after yeah it's like that fish goes in your box and you're done intentionally fishing rockfish. So it makes you, if you were trying to catch a yellow eye, it makes you fish way deep where you know there's no risk that you're going to have some little dink or quill latch onto your jig and then you're shut down Yeah, because you're only allowed one rockfish a day. So then people were like, well, who would know? Because like, if you go catch, like if you're, out fishing and you intentionally catch a yellow eye and you throw them in your boat and then later you're doing whatever fishing halibut perfectly legally targeting halibut and you pull up a yellow eye yeah then you need to send them back down on a deep release mechanism when they have those like charter vessels have to have a deep release mechanism they haven't made it yet that recreational anglers need to have a deep release mechanism on board yeah Hmm. it's probably coming well, you can make one from scratch in seconds. Yeah. All the time we've spent out there, though, we rarely would have needed one because it seems like once we limit, man, we just get just off done. of that kind of fishing and yeah. go on and do something else. Yeah. It can happen. I mean, you know, you catch, <laughs> I've seen a lot of, <laughs> lot of rocks caught, but I never would go out and like jig rocks and then go set up for halibut. I might go out and set up for halibut and then if we catch a limit of halibut or it's not happening or you get blown off the water, then be like, well, before we go in, let's go jig up yeah. a quillback. 
That's cool that you got those variations. Jig up a silver gray or whatever, you know, yeah. and catch one on the way in. But, yeah, I'm pretty careful to not be in a situation where I'm out there having to, like, trying to, like, resuscitate and release rockfish. Yeah. But your fisheries biologist buddy Dan thinks that the one-a-day thing is over the top. Too restrictive. Yeah. That's what he, well, yeah. He thinks that because he's like, there just seems to be, in his Abundance. mind, a Thousands. lot. Thousands. Yeah. A lot of yellow eyes, and it just depends. It depends on the day, because it's like yeah, we didn't. Catch some them. days you go, and it's just game on. Yeah, we couldn't find them during. The, sometimes you go look for them, you can't find them, but we couldn't find any fish that day. It was the solar eclipse, super tide. Yeah. No, I got that big uh, quillback, silver. Oh, quillback, yeah. The eclipse day, yeah. Well, quillbacks are abundant. Yeah, you know, or we all did. We all got. I should say abundant, but they're not hurting like yellow eyes. Yeah. The reason yellow eyes are hurting is they're such like they're so they're old. old and low fecundity. Yeah, you can't. They're they're so like a such a slow metabolism fish. You can't bleed them. When you cut their gills, their heart isn't pounding enough to push their own damn blood out. You cut a yellow eyes gills, and nothing comes out of that thing. Just chilling. Wow. Yeah. But you do want to bleed salmon. Yes. Commercial guys bleed them. Yeah. We were bleeding them. Yeah. And when you don't bleed them, you can, you can tell. When you go to flame, all that blood stacked up in the tail. Yeah, I, bleed, I like to bleed them. And I don't you think everything. ripping their gills is, is plenty? You don't need to like cut the throat there? Yeah, I mean, I think it just tearing the gill is tearing the gill, but it's like I don't put my thumb in there and rip them because right. it's like abrasive. Yeah. I cut them. Yeah. But there's like a handful of fish that there's a handful of fish. I think it's like generally accepted. It's a good idea to bleed them. And there's some that just, I don't think it's really necessary. Right. I, I like, I never grew up. Like we don't bleed walleyes. Yeah. Right. Like the white flesh fish. It doesn't seem like you need to. We do bleed halibut. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the thinking and bleeding. But yeah, there's like, I don't know. Maybe like a lot of it just, maybe a lot of it's nonsensical. And it's just like practices that you've developed that aren't like based on fact. But like, you know, I never like bleed yellow perch. But I don't clean yellow perch and realize that the flesh is real bloody. Right. What were you guys talking about electrocuting uh, fresh catch? And EKG, it, man? Yeah. That makes... <laughs> what? What are you laughing about? <laughs> the dirt thinks it's electrocuting him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That he didn't actually think that it's electrocuting him, but he heard EKG, man. And said, yeah. And now that it's coming back around, he's like, so you guys were talking about electrocuting fish, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what's tripping dirt up. The well, I'm wire. just floating in and out. The first no, letter? No, what's tripping dirt up is this. So EK, explain EKG, Mayani. Have you ever witnessed it? I haven't, but I've looked no, I've at a, it. Look at a couple, uh, you know, online blogs and process photos, as we like to call them, but series of photos that show how it's done. But for the most part, I think they ble- they still do bleed the fish. Yeah. When I've witnessed it by people who are believers, they bled the fish yeah. before or after, as soon as they catch it. Yeah, and then then, then EKG made it. electrocute them. Cut the tail. I don't think they cut it all the way, but I guess no, I, I don't leave know. it connected by a flap of skin. Yeah, but I don't know really what that would. Maybe it gives you something to hold on to. Creates an insertion point. Like why not just cut it off? Yeah, it gives you a handle. Yeah, it gives you a handle. Mm. But then they basically take a uh, stiff wire that. Uh, you could, Looks what, like stainless safety wire. Yeah, hmm. but it's it's stiff. Like it's got some backbone to it because you're basically gonna 
ram it and run it up the fish's spinal column. Is it single strand wire or like braided single strand stuff? wire? Yeah. Like for instance, I could picture on a salmon, you could eat, you would EKG man it with a coat hanger, a yeah. wire coat. Mm-hmm. Right, coat hanger, a straightened out coat hanger. That's a that's a good would be example. a good diameter for a salmon. Yeah. But I don't know if they EKG may salmon. I saw them EK like Helen Cho and her boyfriend were EKG man. I don't know if you can use that as a verb. <laughs> they were EKG man, uh, black sea bass, I think fluke, which is a flatfish. Yeah. But because this is on, you basically this is on the east, on the, cut in the, the tail off, so now you're like looking up through the fish, you know, like from his tail, like up through towards his head. And so that cut now gives you a, a portal into his spine. And you just run that wire up his spine all the way to its brain. Basically through the spinal cord. Dude, it yeah. destroys that fish. Looks like they're getting electrocuted. They just melt. There's no rigor. You know, you like throw a fish in. Like this is my like my, my, my saltwater. One of my saltwater mentors, Ron Layton. Like when you had a salmon, you caught a salmon, gutted it, gilled it, right? And then put him on ice. He'd, he'd curl and rig, rigor. He was like, don't take that fish and flatten that thing back out. Because you're tearing muscle. Yeah. Oh, Wait yeah. till it relaxes, then flay yeah. the fish. Mm-hmm. Don't, me- like when it curls up in rigor, don't go and bend right. it back. Because you're just ripping up the muscle. Yeah. Yeah. There's still a lot to be learned in general about meat care. Oh, we're, dude. We're, that's why when Ron we're, Layton we're goes, to the, goes to Pike's Place Market and sees him throwing fish around, just makes him uncomfortable. Yeah. He's like, that's the... What, not good handling. He just feels like it's like, why would you like do that to the fish's flat? Mishandling, yeah, yeah. firing it around, catching it. Oh, there's an entertainment factor. Yeah, but he just thinks it's like abusive yeah. of the of the uh, abusive of the fish, disrespectful to the fish. Yeah. So anyhow, now I think I thought like we talked about this before, but I'm going to tell it again. We have. I was in South America with <clears throat> on a river with Amer Indians, and they caught a turtle, big turtle. They're not supposed to mess with. And uh, was this Bolivia or? guyana oh years ago okay the first trip and they ekg made that turtle with it wasn't willow but imagine the willow switch Mm -hmm. debarked and sharpened and the ekg made the turtle right up its backbone and doing it was amazing because we when we would catch turtles like a snapper we would chop its head and then you'd have to hang it up for a few hours before you could clean it does it still be it just suck its arms in, yeah. and if you pull the arm out and pull it back, you could get like cut and scratched from a dead turtle yeah. or a headless turtle. But they EKG made that turtle, and that turtle was ready to eat. Yeah, no rigor. The reason you're tripping it up with electrocution is they get a similar effect in livestock slaughter facilities by using electricity. Yeah. So if you've ever gone in and watched them slaughter cattle in a slaughter facility, they hit it with a captive bolt gun or hit it with a 22 mag. Yeah. Right. Kill it. It drops to the floor. They put a chain on its rear ankle, jack it up into the air, cut its juggler and then zap it with electricity. And once you to zap the same effect, once you zap with electricity, it's safe to handle. It isn't kicking. Mm-hmm. It's carcass isn't twitching. And it's just that carcass just melts. And then everybody can come in and like piranhas with knives and disassemble that thing in the next three or four minutes. You ready for a segue, Steve? You got a good one? I think so. Dude, hit me. People may start EKG-ing deer 
by trying to shoot him right up the spine from the backside. Yes. Speaking of which. Oh, you want me to talk about shooting my deer with okay. big guns? <laughs> so I didn't want to get to this. <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah, that was, that was a very good segue. I like that. They're not gonna start doing that though. No, but we no, did talk no, to no. a guy recently who who go who who goes for a similar EKG may effect by hitting his animals at the base of the skull. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But I don't. Yeah, head shoot. I, I've we've all made our uh, we've all made our point about not liking head shooting. Or the, the 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 problems, the negatives out the the, the cons outweighing the pros on head shoot. But the other day, Yanni is talking to we we're going up. Uh, we have some me and Remy Warren, who's one of my hunting heroes. We drew uh, a Fognac Island elk tags, and we're going up uh, to hunt a Fognac for roosevelt elk and um we got to talk about uh, rifle caliber selection and remy had said something like being incredulous of the 3006 for a fognac elk because these elk these bulls are for they're huge they're 1400 pounds like bulls. a moose almost big freaking bulls 1400 pound bulls and he's like, oh, man, a 300-win mag is the way to go. Minimum. I wouldn't take no 30-06 for this. That's too slow. And, Remy, I'm sorry. I wish you were here, but I am just, I'm, I think I, I got it right, right? Yeah. And Yanni was pointing. Not enough gun. Yeah, and Yanni was pointing out. But the, the only, there's a, what? Explain your thinking on this. Well, again, it depends on, uh, you know, what grain bullet weight and, uh, you know how many grains of powder you have behind that bullet but uh for this example you could basically have the exact not basically you would have the you could have the exact same bullet let's just say like you're throwing a 165 or 165 yeah. grain bullet or 180 or mag. 200 or 220 all of those can be shot out of both 30 out six 300 wind mag 300 short mag uh you know any of the other 300s 300 whether it be this is yanni van's wall thing. this is like yanni the gun writer talking <laughs> right now. not the lab you need and, it was yanni um, van's wall you know if you let's just say it was the 165s because that's what you're shooting out of your 300 wind mag um i'm gonna guess that it's you know 3100 to 3200 feet per second out of the muzzle and the thirty out six is pushing that same bullet at uh, twenty nine hundred to three thousand feet per second. You know, on average. Again, depending on if you loaded it hot, or depending on uh, you know the you could buy factory ammo that could that could be pushing the same bullet faster or a little bit slower. But somewhere in in the realm of fifty to hundred feet faster or slower. And so the difference between the OT six and the three hundred wind mag is probably just a couple hundred feet a second, which someone could probably sit there and lay down some real numbers and start talking about kinetic energy and impact energy, all that sort of stuff, and it, and it might end up being a, a great big difference. But you're saying it's probably not significant. I'm a believer that it's more important to have a rifle that you can handle. And shoot accurately and not be scared of because it kicks too much. Put that bullet in the right spot. Yep. 
than to so have why a, do you a think bullet people moving. care because i want to get to the main point but why do you think like people make such big differences out of like oh 30 out of six or 300 win it can't all be the same thing well it's not no i mean it's they're moving fast that bullet is moving faster that is the only difference the bullet is moving faster there is no difference in the bullet itself the bullet is simply moving faster faster so okay so if i'm throwing if i'm throwing 165 grain out of my 300 wind mag it's going at 3050 3050 feet per second that's what you just found on the internet no i pulled up my my ballistics calculator oh, okay 3050 mm-hmm. yeah and i've chronographed my ot six that i hand load for and i'm shooting 168 grain barnes and they're shooting it's shooting those things that um like 2,900. Okay. Not a lot of difference. At 300 yards, an elk isn't going to know the difference. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah. I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So, when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out, there isn't one. 
Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yeah. So, that's just like a prelude. So, I got like a number of hunts I'm anticipating this fall. And I have like a whole fleet of firearms. And I just like now and then... Uh, get sick of having a whole fleet of firearms. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go down and I'm going to just like, I'm sh- no matter what I'm doing this year, deer, elk, whatever, everything from sickle black tails, which are like 100 pounds, up to 1,400 pound moose. I'm just using my 300 win. Not messing around with all kinds of different guns and whatnot. I'm going to like, I'm going to load up with 165 grain federal trophy bonded bullets. And I'm going to like, just, just that's it. Done dinking around all fall. So go marching up the hill and, um, you know, Brody, we just done, like Brody had done a thing, written an article not long ago talking about different people's choice like if they only had to hunt with one gun and what if right. most people it was split down the middle but i mean Giannis and i are the 30-06 side of things and you and cal were the 300 side of things and i think you know you're not making a mistake choosing the 300 it's just in some cases it might be a little much yeah you know but that's the thing so my whole like one gun deal right now we go marching up and we uh Post up on a glass and tit, and we find no bugs that that night. No, we got mauled by flies. Oh man, bad mauled to where my hands are still like not comfortable. Got mauled by flies and glassed up a few does, a handful of does, one of which may have been a little spiker. And then dirt got his big spot, kept the ball rolling, slept in our tents. Woke up all foggy and rainy. And you said that night, morning. the bucks aren't out yeah. at night. And Yanni didn't believe me. Sure enough, the next morning. I have found in hunting the alpine, and like hunting the alpine for sick of blacktails, the evening is not, and it should not be considered an indicator of whether you're in a good zone or not. I don't know why. I see a lot more deer. And in fact, we saw five or six at night. And I was mm-hmm. saying, you know what? I know we're looking at a bunch of does. I think there's a lot more deer around. I find you, they're just pop in the morning. And it was a different story. It was like double. And yeah, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> some little <laughs> negative Nancy thing he said. And I remember I got up and it wasn't quite dark yet. And I gathered up my loot and I was like, see you boys in the morning. And it was like, oh, my God, you quit in. You go to bed. 
So I crawl in my tent and sleep and then wake up. We wake up at daybreak. It's all foggy and rainy. Had a cup of coffee. Go over to the glass and tit and just start just pounding deer. Buck after buck. Buck after buck after buck. All hard to find a doe the next Dude, morning. Just freaking deer everywhere. So me and Brody split off. And I got I'm a one rifle man. <laughs> that that brings up another funny thing. We actually talked about that that morning. Cause I remember there was a guy we had on the show one time who'd said like he's got like a shotgun. He's like Beware the man with one rifle. Right. I'm like, dude, the guys I'm scared of are the guys that got a shit load of guns. <laughs> <laughs> that can shoot them all. Yeah, I know. I was like, the guys I know that shoot the best. When I say scared of, I mean like the guys I know that are the best shots tend to have like a whole bunch of guns. Yeah. Like, you know, I like to shoot. I regard myself as a fairly good shot and I got quite a collection. So, um, yeah, I think it's just like a thing people like to think. But uh, so, yeah. Neither is true. Whether you have one gun or a hundred guns, neither makes you a uh, good marksman or or a good shot or you know a good hunter. It all depends on how much you're shooting and practicing with the one gun or the hundred gun. Yeah, but there's plenty of dudes of, with a hundred guns that those things shoot. just sit in safe safes for sure. Know? But it's like one of those like simple man mantras. Yes, you wear the man with one gun. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like. Uh, so, you know, me and Brody split off and we get up and we're 328 yards from a buck. We glassed him at like 600 and then, you know, moved in. Yeah. Got over there. And I hit the deer in the rib cage, a couple ribs up from the back. Laying cord, down cord. prone. I'm laying down yeah. prone. He's quartering away very slightly. There was a little bit of obstruction over his shoulder from some brush. So I shied away from that a little teensy bit. No, it's more like. Right? I remember my gun jumped up, my, my big heavy hitter, right? Thing like, talk about a hook set. A freaking barrel on that thing. <laughs> 300 win Mac. Bam! Cross I remember the gun had like come back down and I was trying to see through the scope what had happened when I finally heard the right? So knew we hit him. Yeah. In the ribs, out the ribs. Go up there and uh, he'd still run off a little way. Not much blood. Yeah, he went. No blood. Run off 20 yards. Yeah. I don't know. And no, like a real small entry hole. Through the rib. Yeah. Small, back. yeah. Small entry hole through the ribs. Small exit hole, size of a twenty-five cent piece, behind the shoulder, opposite shoulder. Everything looks cool. Everything looks cool. We drag the deer up to try to get out of the wind a little bit, and as we're dragging it, I'm starting to smell that there's like, uh, gut shot type situation going on. Even though we're up in the ribs, dragging around, and think we're gonna like pull out the cutlery and start working magic on the deer and get to working on it and it's just like way like a lot of damage man and i think i was just gonna say upon uh is autopsy the right word we 
vivisection. Yeah, we did like a little vivisection, <laughs> a little autopsy. Yeah, yeah, like a little. You know, we we know we can say exactly the the path of the bullet. You know, like in the placement, and it was cer- it was ahead of the diaphragm, like you said, two or three ribs, and angled as such that it it still came out behind the opposing shoulder. It did not hit intestine or no stomach no but it also did it wasn't angled so much either that you know you, you like would have gone and hit the the opposing shoulder right like it exited behind the shoulder so it gives you just a sense of, of where it was so the path was like farther back in the whole vital area but still ahead of the diaphragm both lungs had a hole through it so it was like excellent shot placement is, is yep. my point you know thank you Yanni. i don't feel like you were back no but that thing hit that thing hit so hard and fast and big that it like uh yeah burst the stomach. Maybe rib bone went back in there or it busted that yeah, because when that thing went in, it, even though you on the skin, you have one small thirty cal hole, it busted three ribs. But it could have just been that uh, uh, you tell me, Giannis, is the whole hydrostatic shock thing like is that a real thing? Oh yeah, it's that? real. Mm-hmm. So the, so that shock wave may have burst the gut too. Yeah, that's like when people talk. Yeah, about, not only did it burst the stomach, but I mean, you have a diaphragm that completely, right. you know, separates the two, right? Yeah, so it burst that. But you said it didn't even it like wander like ran off. It well, it just kind of plunged down. Yeah, it wasn't like a. Yeah, like if you if you if you're hunting, and you hit a and you hit a animal. It's not always true. This is not always true at all. But in general terms if you hit something and it like really quickly starts favoring like a downhill getaway it's you, you probably got a good hit on yeah it. not always not yeah, at I, all always but if it's comes kind of toward you in a downhill direction especially it's like you probably got a good hit yeah on and it. he was when he ran he was on wobbly legs like i yeah. felt good about and it and then it, there's another indicator about that happened here that tells you about your shot is there's two other bucks with him and so a buck gets hit and runs because he got hit, right? Just runs a little ways and tips over. You can't see because he's out. You don't know what happened to him. He just disappears from your view. But when those other bucks hang out, you know, he didn't. Looking down, trying yeah. to figure out what happened, he didn't leave. Yeah. Right? So these other two bucks were very slow to get out. So it's like, had that one buck really been missed and ran off, he's not going to stop running. He's going to keep going probably. And everybody's going to travel with him. Yeah. But when they're like hanging out, trying to figure out what happened, he's down. Yeah. No, he never felt a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think he was alive like a second at most. Yeah. But when we open it up, so even though the shot's through the ribs and in front of the diaphragm, everything up in there is just like stomach contents. And when I'm butchering, we use those, uh, those, called a bench made steep country and it's got like a big bowed not a big it's a short blade but like that big bowed belly on it mm-hmm. big drop point blade. yeah big drop point blade and you like take that thing and usually like if you get like if you hit something through the ribs oftentimes especially on the exit side you'll have like a lot of blood clotted stuff and you just take that thing and just clean down the ribs like imagine you're just like scraping the ribs down but you're just like flaying it all away you just flay it all away and you just pitch it but doing that it's just like a mess so now i'm back yeah, there was stomach contents on both sides of the animal between the ribs and the hide 
And there was like that's how much energy had gone through that there was grass like up in the shoulders, the, like and, just going. Yeah, you found some in the neck yep. zone, like undigested stuff he had been eating that morning. Yeah, up that had come mm-hmm. out, passed up between the skin and the muscle, and jammed up in the neck area. Yeah. Yep. I'm not a one gun man anymore. Well, yeah, here's, I mean, I'm going to play devil's, like, I, devil's I advocate a little bit because some guys much. are going to say, like, so are you saying that your animal's too dead? Yeah. yeah. The gun did its job. It just did it a little listen, too well. Man, listen, you're after two things. I'm after a sweet spot. If you imagine, like, two intersecting lines, okay? One line is humane death, and one line is meat damage. Now, I could have gotten a really humane death with a hand grenade or like an RPG. Or shooting him in the shoulder. Or a 78 Chevy. Yeah. But, sure, humane death, but the meat damage line is too high. Yeah. So you're striving for, um, like, like for instance, with archery, right? Um, with archery... It's like a weight. It's a different trade-off. Very, very minimal, minimal meat damage. The quickness of the death is not as abrupt. So, with archery, you have a different sort of trade-off, right? You're like meat damage is just minimal. Even if you punch through the shoulder, like had I hit that deer in the shoulder, there wouldn't have been either shoulder. It wouldn't have moved, and you'd have had. No shoulder meat whatsoever. This way, we had to trim out some bad shoulder meat on the exit side. So, like with archery, like meat damage is next to nothing, virtually nothing. But quickness of death is slower. It's just like, and then people are gonna be like, oh, it's like, okay, you know, screw you. It's just shorter. It's, it's, it doesn't happen as quickly. I'm sorry. I'm not. It's like I, I love it. Right? Bow hunting's great. Um, I think people should do more of it. Uh, and I have, and I remember the hitting a bull elk with a bow and watching it take two steps and fall over dead. Like it does happen. I'm saying like, generally those lines get moved, low meat damage, lower, you know, humane kill factor. So yeah, you could, it was too dead. I think I got something you should try. I think before you decide to to not be a one gun a man. one gun man. Well, here's the thing: I, it's like there's part of being a one gun man is being a one bullet man. Yeah. Okay. Please. Well, big reason people shoot like a lighter bullet, like a one sixty five out of a three hundred win mag, is because it's flatter trajectory, tall and ass, right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, this is a rabbit hole you can really get squirrely with. But that lighter bullet gets blown around by wind more so shooting in windy conditions you're shooting like a 200 grainer that's what callahan likes yeah he likes to throw those big 200s yeah higher ballistic coefficient so it doesn't get blown off a little bit more and once you really get out to range just the air friction itself slows down the 165 faster than the 200 so at some point out there like 600 plus yards that the 200 grainer actually might surpass the 165 but that's like ranges that we don't really shoot game app at least you and i don't but something to think about is if you went up to 200 you would be shooting a a bigger bullet at a slower speed 
I just feel like if you went and hit a 100 pound antelope, coos deer, black tail deer, yearling white tail, I just feel like hitting it with that gun, throwing 200 grains. I don't know. I think you might see less. I think you would see less, less damage. Less meat damage. Yeah. Because I think it's the speed, maybe, and maybe the fracturing of the, the front end of that bullet, which is supposed to happen, you know, with that bullet that you're shooting that's maybe causing more of that damage that you don't like. And if you had a bigger bullet that maybe uh, stayed together, moving a little bit slower, you wouldn't have as much of that shock. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I shoot animals with a 350-grain muzzle loader bullet, and, you know, it's not blowing them into bits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about shooting deer back home with 12-gauge slugs, right? I never killed a deer with a slug. You, oh, we, that's right. We, you were we, north I, of the I live, line. I live north of the shotgun zone. So where Steve and I grew up, somewhere, I don't know. Do you know what demarcates? I could draw it on a map, but. Yeah. But anyways, in the southern part of Michigan, I think it's still that way now. You can only use uh, sl- shotguns. for Southern third of the state. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, they just poke a nice big hole. Yeah, you got a deer with a buck with a shotgun last year. In Montana That's right. last year, yeah, shotgun. And I had no, I had no meat. I shot him close range, you know, so it's still probably hauling buggy. But I think it's only coming out of the muzzle at like eighteen hundred right. to two thousand feet a second, yeah. so a thousand feet a second slower. If that same slug was doing three thousand, yeah, it'd probably be a different end result, a lot more meat damage. But I had none. When these guys talk about hydrostatic shock, we're talking about the, the, it hits so fast that. You have like the projectile passing through it, but then there's also the issue of like displaced material, like mm-hmm. displaced liquids that are then pushed out of the way at such a fast speed that they become projectile like or cause like this wave of shock. And that's why when you hit something, it just goes down. Like oftentimes when you hit something, it's just like poof, down on the ground. The st- shock of it. Right. Because at slower velocities, you could hit something where it doesn't even register the hit. And then all of a sudden, a couple seconds later, it tips over from blood loss. But the actual shock of the hit doesn't do anything. Um, Yeah, man. I think I'm, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. But I think like, I think that I, I made like a brief foray into being a one gun man. And I'm foraying back out. I'm going to get me like, a, I'm going back. I'm having like a little lightweight dealie. And my little lightweight dealie is going to be deer and antelope and whatnot. And then I'm going to have my big ball buster for elk and moose. Elk and moose. Yeah. So is the damage, the meat damage, like, makes me sick. Yeah. Another thing you could try, we got to wrap it up here, but you could like, you could try those trophy coppers. I've had really good luck with that copper bullet because it, holes together and i've actually shot them on the point of the shoulder bull elk what was i shooting when i shot that bull elk i can't remember now i think it was my 300 short mag i was shooting 180 grainer and it was like a 200 yard shot not too far away point of the shoulder and just dropped him just lights out over and done never kicked and uh it had gone through both scapulas you know it was high and you know so there was, but the point is maybe a two inch diameter, maybe two to three inch diameter meat damage around the, you know, 
the entry and the exit as it went through those scapulas. Because that bullet's not exploding when it's hitting. Right? Yeah. I, I had good luck with them last year. Those trophy coppers worked well for me. Even shooting uh, lung shots. Because yeah. a lot of guys will say, ooh. You're things. saying you like those trophy coppers. Yeah. And, and I was leery of them for lung shots because they're just, you know, you hear the whole, like, making a little hole through the lungs. Which takes I've them seen, a long yeah. time to bleed out. But the, I, I did the double lung shot on a mule deer and an elk last year, and they went, those animals went 30, 40 yards and died. Yeah. I've just had a lot of really good luck over the years, like using what I use, but yeah. Yeah. Any concluding thoughts? Daddy. Man. Um, I want to like jump in. I think one time when we're mooching next time we're mooching, when you jump in with the scuba tank and go down there and just see yeah. how wild it really is. I think you, you know? could have stuck a GoPro down there that one day because yeah, it was, it was calm. Oh no, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about going, I, I'm not sure yet, but I'm thinking about this winter down in Seattle doing my diver certification, man. But just it also just seems like a lot of, I might, but it also seems like a gear heavy, just a whole other damn, you know, like a whole other thing. That'd be pretty sweet. When you're though. up in Southeast Alaska, it's like, there's just so much stuff to do and you want to it's like you got to like focus you know just see like a whole other realm just that much more shit laying around not a whole nother pile of that stuff <laughs> another shack for your scuba trying gear. to get like tanks i don't know i'm kind of dying to do it though man and i would dive down there too you know i would dive down there that's it. You just you want to film a. Uh, that's your complete thought. No, just to see what's going on because I think like we we everybody oh, has, take a has an idea take a of what is this interaction and what the take looks like between the silvers and the herring, mm-hmm. like what's going on down there. And someone's probably already done it. Someone probably knows exactly what it looks like. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Why aren't there nature movies? There's a million nature movies of pelagic, warm water pelagic pounding bait balls Mm -hmm. there has to be nature movies maybe someone if they know about this can send us a note at themeateater.com but there has to be videos of salmon working bait balls oh yeah you know those underwater uh, films the cameras that the ice fishermen send down yeah i wonder if you could hang one of those off a boat oh and see what's going on down there yeah, but not like some souped-up underwater photographer's. Yeah. No. I want to no. see a souped-up underwater photographer film of salmon working bait. I'm sure they got to see like what the interaction's like. Yeah. Do they just come through? Do they hurt? Yeah. Are they corralling them? Or... Yeah. You got any concluding thoughts? I got two. <laughs> wow. They're quick, though. One, just to speak on that, what made me think of it, is the variety of activities you mentioned. The bear uh, interactions we had this trip were phenomenal. 30 yards away like getting hoofed at and barked at yeah having a stare down with a with the orange one with a better foe yeah i mean that was that was something that won't leave me the second one is i'm camping in my truck and i need a place to live so if anybody in bozeman knows of a rental or a caretaking <laughs> ranch out of town i oh, need a home explain this now <laughs> yeah, that's right so dirt <laughs> me and my gal yeah, back Andrea, up, i want to help you out on this <laughs> dirt is lives uh um lives out of his truck yeah when dirt opens the door of his truck you know like you know that that little area like in your truck door where you keep like maps or a coffee cup like in the, there's that little lower compartment that's dirt's medicine cabinet 
So when he opens up his truck door, it's like shampoo and deodorant and stuff all lined up in that little uh, toothpaste, toothbrush, all lined up. In that I got a system. Map, that little map carrier. How long was your stint like as a real re- a resident of an actual domicile? The longest is uh, probably about a year and a half. Because you lived with your girl until when? June in a in a place with a roof. Yeah, and then we're both, and she's she's a great. We'll, we'll be good tenants or caretakers. So you're looking for a caretaking gig, and you don't well, want to pay any rent. Yeah, I mean, you'll ideally. care. Now, listen, I, I'll come in and say this, or or I, or we would rent, but we just need a place in Bozeman if anyone's got something. Yeah, out of and, town and I will come in, and I don't do this very often. I will vouch up and down for dirt as being. If I was going to have my place caretaked, I would have it be caretaked by dirt. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Because I'm telling you what, we were trying to change the gear oil in one of the outboards and couldn't get that that uh, dirt of yeah handy handy handy. So yeah. I'm wondering if those really want to be saddled though with that responsibility. Well, no, no, rent's nice, he, but man, a care some caretaker welds, positions yeah. are full time jobs. He welds, he does like, okay, but dirt has a job. Yeah, no, and, but dirt uh, just travels a little bit. Yeah, but he's got his girl around to help out. Yeah, and and rental too. We're we just we're having a tough time finding a place out of town in the Bozeman area. So I figured I might so as well. Ideally, throw it out there. you got like ideally there's some joker out, some wonderful person out there who's got a place that they're like kind of in a little bit, but not really in there that much. They would love to have someone there that was trustworthy. Yeah. Keep it up. Today. I know Dirt's parents well. Like I can vouch for this guy up and down. Yeah. And if Thank Dirt you. screwed you, his old man would come out and make it right. <laughs> yeah. His old man would come make it right in a hurry. Yeah. Not that Dirt would ever screw you. No. So, Garrett, uh, house at our place while we were did um, a great job. Yeah, while we were on vacation, that and was I came cool. home and uh, but the deer forest. he did let the deer get the garden, but that yeah. was not a <laughs> that was yeah, that a, was not his fault. That was a no. design, that was a fence problem. Yeah, he just happened to be there when it happened. Yeah, so sons of bitches. So <laughs> if you got like this place right, and you're yeah. only there now and then, and you just want everything to be tight, and when you show up, you want dirt to be gone. It he, can be he'll he won't yeah. even be you won't even yeah it won't be the smell and of his, dirt and his toothbrush will not his toothbrush will be in his truck door <laughs> not in your house and you show up and everything's <laughs> tight and right yeah and you're ready to enjoy yourself yeah um it, so that was two things you like running the bears and having them wolf at you and clack your teeth yeah. at you and shit and then you like uh you're looking for a place to live yeah the winter is upon us the fall is so Brody how can we never plug our fishing clients because I got all the clients I want. Really? Yeah, man. I've been doing it for 17 years. So I don't need to. Don't even want one more. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want to look it up, look me up, go for it. But, How do um, they find you if they want to book you for a Colorado fly fishing? Fly fishing outfitters, Avon, Colorado, Orvis. But I only got like. And they'll find Brody Henderson. <laughs> yeah, but I only got like six or eight weeks a, a year anymore. You know, I used to do 200 trips a year. That's just not fun anymore. I'm getting old. Yeah, I like to fish when it's like eighty degrees and sunny, and there's a bunch of bugs hatching. Outside of that, I'm not real interested in it. Really? Yeah. And your kids, right? Missing out on yeah. Like I'd rather take my kids fishing at this point. You don't want to be gone all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, there's an enthusiastic (laughs) (laughs) talk about a guy hungry for business, (laughs) Brody Henderson. But I do have a conclusion that might be the best kind of guy. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I'm happy when I'm out there. I'm not grumpy That might be the best out. kind of guy. He's not going to be like, oh, it's perfect right now. It's perfect. He might be <laughs> yeah. like, if you go with them, it's going to be right. If you can squeeze in a half-day trip between June 15th and July 31st, I'll, gonna, I'm all about it. You're going to catch fish. Yeah. yeah. All right. My including thought is to shout out to Matt Elliott because we had a thing. I used to, on, the, on my pocket knife, I used to always like those pocket knives that had part serration oh yeah part normal tip yeah. Yeah, matt elliott at benchmade was kind of like he wasn't like down on it. he's like oh you know everybody has what they work for him but he suggested just switching over and he took the i have this uh you know uh it's called a grip tillion it's like what they call like the edc like the everyday carry knife and i always had that serrated on there and he took it and made it put it just straight Dude, I'm loving that just straight, man. You're not missing the serration. No, I used to like I I have honestly spent my whole entire life walking around with a pocket knife that had serration on it. Thinking I was a bad mofo, <laughs> ready to cut some ropes. <laughs> ready to like cut a rope that like was dragging me off into a pit, right? And I had to like cut it quick or else I'd die or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you asked Matt about it, he was like, Yeah, some guys like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the serration. So nice, man. Speaking of knives though, I got one more concluder real quick i don't want to give the impression that we left a bunch of meat on the hill like we took our time and cleaned it up and oh as much salvaged as possible 90 percent. we brought home meat. the heart whatever yeah. yeah just took well, you I then take went your time. And left the heart in my vacuum sealer oh really closing up the cabin <laughs> and i was like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna um not leave my chamber sealer like most vacuum sealers are like uh you know like those little they're not a chamber sealer. Yeah. You know, everyone has like, you know. The, you put it on the outside. Yeah, you put the bag on the outside. Yeah. I have like one of those Weston chamber sealers where it's a much better system. The bags are better and cheaper to buy bags for a chamber sealer. But chamber sealer is a lot more expensive. Either way, I didn't want to leave my chamber sealer sealed up. I thought it might mildew in there. So I cracked it open to stick a, a little piece of. Chalk or, or a chalk. Yeah, like just to, keep the, just to keep it cracked. Realized that damn deer heart was in there. Sealed? Like I sealed the last bag. Oh, we were like yeah. wrapping all of our meat. We were like sealing fish and freezer paper and red meat. But I was like, for whatever reason, back bag the heart. Didn't find that. So there's going to be a fermented heart for the next person that goes there? No, I had to pitch it. Oh, it's that over. I threw it out of the water yeah. for the crabs because it had been sitting there for. Yeah. Oh, unsealed. Sitting there for however long in yeah. room t- in the wood stove right yeah. next to it. Total stupid move, man. But still got my liver. No, man. Yeah, like, no, we meat. did like a yeah. lot of meat salvage. Just like it was a lot of work and, yep. and made me realize, beware the man with one gun because he's going to leave a lot of meat damage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. 
Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacovas store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today.